So we're at Mark chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 2. Very interesting passage. Hear the gospel. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Greek word there is metamorphosis. What does that sound like? Yeah, he was transformed. There was something that happened where he moved into the thing that he was and is and, and will be and is now. Uh, and they, the, we saw that this transformation took place. And they said, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son. The beloved, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Let's pray. Father, something uh, dramatic and drastic happened in this passage. Help us to hear. Maybe something we're not anticipating, but something that is good news. For we believe that Jesus embodied the good news. So help us to see him. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen. Well, I read from a little bit different version today. I read from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, it is the version that I, I just enjoy. All of your pew Bibles uh, are not... Are, uh, they are, I almost said Nazarene International Version. It is the new international version. And, and it's a good version. I, I enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's what we decided as a, as a church that that's what would be in the pews. And most of the time, I preach from the new international version. But today, I wanted to bring this Bible out um, really for an example as we got started. You see, this Bible right here. Uh, that's pockmarked and war-torn and um, is, is the first Bible that I purchased for myself. Okay, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I grew up in the pastor's home. And uh, so I have a lot of Bibles. If you go back in my office, I can take you and there's a whole shelf of just Bibles. There are different versions. There's King James and, and New King James and International Version. And there's the Message and there's New Revised Standard. There's probably three or four different kinds. There's Annotated Bibles. There's, there's a New English Bible. There's the Jerusalem Bible. There, there are all these versions of the Bible. And I, and I like the different versions. Every now and then it's fun to read in a different version. But this was the first Bible I purchased with my own money. I remember I, I left 
uh, Trevecca Nazarene, uh, at that time, college campus, and I drove down to Cokesbury Bookstore, the Methodist Publishing Houses, or the Fortress, or Abingdon, or Cokesbury, or whoever, uh, had their headquarters there, and they had a big bookstore, and, and I went in, and they had these Bibles, and they were, I guess, genuine imitation le- bonded leather, uh, so not quite leather, um, looks like leather, uh, for five dollars. And it was the New Revised Standard, which I love. Uh, it's just one of those translations where they, they try their best to say as close to the ancient Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and, uh, and yet make it readable. So it's a good scholarly Bible um, that is also fun to read. If you just want uh, very literal, you could read the New American Standard Bible, uh, or you could read the word literal translation. That's a little odd because Greek and Hebrew don't always put their nouns and verbs and adjectives in the same place that we do in English. But this was my Bible, and, uh, and I love this Bible. I have, I've carried it with me. It's, uh, it's made its trip out to Los Angeles for years. I used it in seminary and, and then we moved to Northern Ireland. It came with me. It came with me here. I, I preached from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, so you can see here, uh, I think in the bright light, John has a lot of marks in it. And, uh, you remember we spent, we spent like three years in John. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of dirty. I, I remember the time uh, when I was preaching at pa- Pasadena First Church and we were going through Philippians and, and I was really nervous. I was kind of a new preacher and, and my fingers were sweaty and, and part of Philippians just came with my finger, um, you know, because of the pages there. So I've had to, oh, and things fall out of it. And there, it's just, it, I love, I love the Bible. I've studied and I've given years of my life to studying it. I've, I've tried to learn the original languages and spent many, 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 many hours making and memorizing flashcards so that I could understand the Greek language or the Hebrew language or some Aramaic. And it, it is something that I love. I've given a lot of and I'm still giving a lot of my paycheck to the education that I got to uh, to be able to, to do this. I love it. And today's passage may not seem like this is um, where we're going to go, but it's just something from, from the gut of who I am. I feel we need to address in some way. You, you see, Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and John, some great representatives of what would become the church, up on a high mountain. Now, this is the same, at least Peter, who just in the chapter before had received a revelation from God when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? He said, You are the Messiah, the Christ. It was both a great uh, term uh, to understand, and it was a very political term. It was something that they were all waiting for, and they had been waiting for for a long time. You are the anointed one of God. And Jesus said, yes. And then he began to talk with them about this Messiah, this anointed one, this son of God suffering and dying. And Peter said, no, that can't be you. And just right then, then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. 
It's again that that whole pattern that we have seen all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Yes, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who we've been waiting for. And He's not going to be that way the way that you think He's going to be that way. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. But it's a different kingdom than you're expecting. And you have to stay open to what God is going to do because this is a dynamic thing, not a static thing. And, and so he takes this, these three up, these representatives of what would become the church. And he has this metamorphosis. Any Power Ranger fans? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He morphs. Uh, got one, one fist raised, alright. We see who Christ is. We see that this Christ, this Messiah, is not just a political figure, but this is the Son of God. This is the one that we have been waiting for. And all of a sudden this thing happens where Elijah and Moses are there as well. These great uh, figures from the Old Testament representing the law and the prophets, really representing uh, a, a lot of the Jewish thought. They would think of... Elijah as the greatest prophet. Moses the lawgiver, also a prophet, but the lawgiver. And here they are having a conversation. So we have the church represented in Peter, James, and John. We have Jesus, the one bringing the kingdom. The one who is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And all of a sudden we have these figures from out of the past. I mean, this... This would just be amazing if you were there. If you were a young Jewish man and this happened while you were there, this would be unbelievable. And Peter, kind of caught up in the moment, in the fear, what do we do in this moment? I mean, I can't imagine what this would be like. He, he does something. He says something. Now, we know Peter, right? Peter speaks first, thinks about it, you know, maybe, maybe an hour or two later. He says, hey, it's good that we are here. See where the emphasis is? Should we build three tabernacles? Should we, should we bring this in and we'll make one for you and for Moses and for Elijah? You see, what was, what was taking place right there is this great representative of what would become the church then begins to look and says, should we put on equal footing Moses and Elijah and Jesus. He even kind of brings them into one of the Jewish uh, celebrations where they would build the tabernacle and live in that, the Feast of Booths. Uh, they, they, they bring all of this in and he, he kind of like is trying to create. Now, what do we do with these three? What, what should we do? Are they all on equal footing? And we know because we've just read that all of a sudden a cloud comes about. And the voice from the cloud says what? This is my son, the beloved. Listen to what? Him. And really the the way that is there it is Listen to Him in the primary. He is the, the authority. He is the one that you interpret everything else through. And when the cloud is gone, what do we see? Cloud is gone. 
They looked around. They saw no one with them anymore. But only who? Jesus. This is one of those passages that we kind of wrestle with. And, and here in the 21st century, we kind of wrestle with it just on a, on a level of, you know, is it ancient aliens? You know, guy with big hair. What, you know, this, this encounter. But what we begin to see here is how is this working? Some scholars have said that I read, talked about how Moses and Elijah being there are really as if they appear to give their final point to the one who is the Word of God. Their final, yes, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who is bringing the kingdom. This is the one who shows the world what God is all about. What God looks like. What God thinks. How God feels towards humanity. What God is willing to do in all of this. And this is the one that you interpret everything else through. Because you see, in our day and age, this book right here, really a library of books, can really become a weapon. It can. There are some very, very difficult passages that are here. Sometimes you just want to kind of skip past them or look into them. There's, there's, there's stories of violence. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. There are stories of violence. There are stories of celebrated violence almost. And there are some times in our day and age right now where we place authority just as equally on those passages as we do on the passages that Jesus tells us how His kingdom is coming, what kingdom people look like, how kingdom people live and love and forgive and do those things. I would call that a very flat reading of Scripture. It is a very literal reading of Scripture. And the ancients would have said that reading the Bible just from a literal, literal standpoint is, it is an interpretation, but it's an interpretation of straw. In other words, it doesn't have much nutrients. It's kind of dry. And it can lead to some places that are not what the kingdom that Jesus showed us is all about. And so, I love what one pastor that I love to talk to says. We see Jesus, and if your interpretation of the Bible does not look like Jesus, go back and start again. Because Jesus is The Word of God. Do you understand that? The incarnation at Christmas, it's coming. I'm sorry, snowflakes will fall. At least I hope. I like white Christmas. But in the incarnation, we do not celebrate God becoming a book. We celebrate God becoming a person. Because a person is something that you interact with. A person is something who still speaks and is alive. And, you know, I know I'm racing ahead already to Easter and and already past this, but do we believe in a risen Christ or not? Do we? Then we believe in a Christ 
who is still able, yes, to use this. It points us to Jesus. Moses points us to Jesus. The, the prophets point us to Jesus. Don't forget, Jesus Himself said, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fill them full. You see, they may not have gotten everything exactly the way it is, and that's why God didn't just continue being a book but became a person to show us the heart of God, to show us exactly what God looks like. And God is the God who does not condemn, but loves and forgives. God is the God who is able to forgive anything. Just like we see that when Jesus forgives on the cross. So we have to do this. Now, some of you may be nervous like, uh, you know, Pastor Jeff, if you're from an academic background, that Pastor Jeff is becoming like Martian, not little man from the planet. But there was one of the first guys that the church said, no, that's too far. He just wanted to do away with the Old Testament altogether. He said, why do we need it? We just need, you know, we just need Jesus' teachings. He said, no, no, no. We still need the dynamic, vibrant witness of a God who created all that there was. We need the dynamic witness of a people who were called together by this God. We need the witness of a people who received a law of how we live in community together. Is this God who's pulled us all together and is helping us? We need, we need to hear the vibrant witness of the prophets that tells those people, you're doing it all wrong. You say this is what you're about, but you're not about this and we need that witness that says but there is one who is coming and he will write the law on your hearts he will transform you from the inside out and that is what we see on the mountain as the church with peter james and john but i think we have to hear we have to hear the voice from the cloud. You need to hear the voice from the cloud. I need to continue as I sit with these scriptures and, and read them and study them and those kinds of things. I need to hear the voice from the cloud. But this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And it is the voice of Jesus that I long to communicate to you all. And I think that we can get messed up. But then I look around and I say, well, but we're already doing some of this already, right? Okay, here, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, uh, as well as you can, if you're, if you're a stranger, um, just look at your own tag if you can. If you need a little help, uh, look at the person. Um, just see if you can find, uh, you know, on there, like this one is made out of, um, oh, let's see. See what you can find. Mine is made out of 50, 45% polyester. 55% cotton. What about you? Uh, can you look just a second? Just take a second. Kind of look at your own little tag there. Go ahead. This is going to wake you up some. All right. You might need your neighbor's eyes. I, I want you to just look there if you can, please. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Get your numbers down. All right, you got yours? Mine's a mixed cloth. What did I say? 55% cotton, some polyester. Anybody 100% cotton? All right. How many of you something mixed? Anybody? Anybody from the 70s 100% polyester? 
Okay, good, good. Alrighty, so you guys and ladies with the, uh, you know, with the pure cotton or polyester, I'm telling you, you are, you're just more holy than we are. Because Leviticus 19.19 says, Nor shall you put a garment made of two different materials together. Did you know that your pastor right now is breaking Scripture? My goodness. And there are, there are a lot of you here. I'll expect you at the altar momentarily. Okay? This is a, a little bit of a silly example. But we already intuit that there is something more than just interpreting this book in a literal sense. That it is a good witness. It is an ancient witness. It is from, in this instance, around the Bronze Age. But it is pointing forward to someone who is coming. And if we begin to say, well, all Scripture is exactly equal, then we can end up in some pretty funny places. You see, the Bible, the Bible is a witness that points us to Jesus. I've given this example before. If you're driving down the road and you're hungry and you want something to eat, you see the sign that's going to point you to wherever the restaurant is that you're going to eat. The goal is to eat the food. The goal is not to worship the sign that points you to the food. You could do that all your life and starve to death. The goal is to feast in the presence of Jesus. The one that as the church we are called to listen to with all our heart. I want to read uh, just a couple of quotes. Because I think, you, whether you realize this or not, you're a part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. If you attend here or join here. Um, and, And I love what we say about the Scriptures. I really do. Can I? In fact, I wrote it down. We believe in the absolute inspiration of Scripture. Okay? God inspired people to write these things down. That doesn't mean that God took over their minds and pushed their pen. It means that in the experience that they had with the living God, they said, we've got to tell these stories. We've got to keep telling them. And the Bible was an oral tradition for a long time. And eventually they said, you know, things are changing and now they have papyrus, these modern technical inventions that we could actually write some of this stuff down. And they began to do that and they began to save it and and move on. But we believe that that was inspired of God, not dictated by God. The Bible did not come down from heaven like here, worship this. The Bible was inspired. God used men and women to write and to to tell us the story so that you and I would have that wonderful road sign that's going to keep pointing you to Jesus. We believe in the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testament given through divine inspiration. There it is. Inerrantly revealing the will of God in all things necessary for salvation. I don't know if you know what a radical statement that is. It means that the Bible is not a history book, although it contains history. It means the Bible is not a science book, although it contains some things about science. The Bible is a witness that points you to Jesus. And it is unable not to point you to Jesus. It has to point you to Jesus. It's always going to move. And that's what's most important to Nazarenes and to this church and to your pastor. I want you to know that. The goal of reading your Bible is to lead you into the presence of Jesus. 
But the goal is the presence of Jesus, not the Bible. The Bible is good. It is the written Word of God. But we're after the living Word of God. Amen? Amen. And that can happen in your living room. It could happen, God forbid, it could happen in a church. Where we would encounter the living Christ here and now. Maybe through the ignorance of preaching. So we say that this is a part of who we are. We give this book great honor. I mean, we do have an article of faith about it. We believe that God still uses the Scripture. But let's not worship the finger pointing at the moon. But let's not worship the the finger pointing at Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. Okay? Because if we don't, we end up in some funny places. I, I love this. This is Pastor Brian Zond writes this. If we see the Bible as an end in itself, instead of an inspired witness pointing us to Jesus, it, the Bible, will become an idol. Idols are gods we can manage according to our own interests. If we want to make the Bible our final authority, which is an act of idolatry, we are conveniently ignoring the problem that we can make the Bible say just about whatever we want. In doing this, we bestow a supposed divine endorsement upon our already established opinion. The historical examples of these are nearly endless. Crusades, slaveholders, and Nazis have all proved themselves adept at holstering their ideologies with images drawn from the Bible. Another pastor friend of mine says, The worst thing we've done to the beautiful gift and grace of Scripture is to take it literally rather rather than literarily pointing to God. The perverted drive to read all of Scripture as nothing greater than a law or a rule has given rise to so much of the self-justification and perceived validation of legalism, misogyny, and xenophobia. In fact, it is not only killing the Scriptures, it is also killing killing those most vulnerable. You see, this, this is why this is important for us to understand this. This is why it's important for us to be in the cloud. Pastor Jeff is not saying throw your Bible away. Far from it. Read it. But read it from the standpoint of saying, now, living Word of God, I come to this Scripture, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, to hear your voice. Let this point me there. Holy Spirit, use this to let me hear the voice of Jesus, the one that this beautiful book points me to. And help that voice, because it will. We didn't read it today, and we're not going to. Everybody say amen. But as they're walking down the mountain, again, Jesus says, okay, you saw me in all my glory. Now I must go suffer. It's, gonna, it's not going to be the way I, I have it in mind. It's just not. If I come to the Bible just to validate my opinions, you wind up in, in funny places. But if you come to the Bible ready to meet with Jesus, and that is your goal, the Bible, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will lead you there. It's pretty simple and yet difficult. 
We simply come humbly. You'd think that would be the first starting place, but trust me, it's, it's not easy. I, I've got like a bunch of degrees on the wall that tell me I have the right to interpret this. It's not easy for a pastor to come and sit down and greet. So one of the first things I do when I open the Bible is say, Oh, living word of God, come and help me understand this. Because I'd like nothing better than to just superimpose my opinion and have some verses to help me. And it's in there that you can begin to hear the still small voice of Jesus that just pulls little things out. That helps you to understand things that will apply to your daily life and how you are to live. If we don't, then we wind up taking Jesus. We say to Jesus, I know you told me to love my enemy, but Moses told me an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Sorry, the cloud says, listen to him. Listen to him. We can't undo Jesus with Moses or Elijah. But Jesus will fill full what God was trying to do with Moses and Elijah. I know this this may be a little heady today. But I just believe in our day and age, we need a people who are willing to humbly approach Scripture and wait for the voice of Jesus, the living Word of God. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in just a moment, I just want to sing that chorus. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. For some of you here today, this may sound a little strange, a little radical, but it's what we hold to as a church. It's one of the things I love still being a part of the Church of the Nazarene. I just wonder if as you sing that, maybe for some of you, you'd be willing to just raise one hand or two. Some of you might go full Pentecostal. Say, God, this is my testimony. I want you to speak. I want to approach your scriptures humbly, waiting for your voice. Help me not to twist or get things out of order, but to listen to your voice. For I want that more than anything. Would you sing that with me as we, we sing that? If you would raise your hands, you can. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your hold. One more time. A word of God speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know 
You're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Oh, living Word of God. We call ourselves your people. And so we are standing on the mountain today. And I hope we've caught a vision of who you are as the living, leaping, laughing, healing, forgiving, saving, helping Jesus, the living Word of God. And yet so often we can miss the mark entirely of your kingdom and its trajectory just like the disciples so long ago. So help us to hear Your voice because we can even take something so wonderful and beautiful like the Scriptures and we can twist them to our own agenda. We can think we know all those things. So help us, Word of God, to hear Your voice. Help us to listen to You point to us how this ancient book can transform our lives from the inside out only through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we just approach it as an intellectual thing, it can't do that. So come and speak. Help these, my brothers and sisters, and help me to listen to your voice, to see you only and to rest in the presence of the Word of God. For it is in the name of the Word of God, the name of Jesus, that we pray these things. And everyone says,